Good morning, church. That was lame. Good morning, church. You all know what this is right here, right? Not just a table. This is, this is the table of truth. And one thing that goes on the table of truth that shall never leave the table of truth is God is love. So we need to establish that first and foremost that God is love, right? Amen? Amen. Not that he's loving. I mean, he is. But he's not just loving. Not on emotion. He, love, he is love, the embodiment of love and perfection. And I want to, you know... It's been a long time since I've been up here preaching, probably 15 years. Uh, Matt and I used to do this quite a lot when there was 15 people maximum maybe out here. Um, I guess I should get my notes, huh? Tetelestai. Does anybody know what that means? Tetelestai. It's a Greek word, right? And so you can find it in John um, 19, verse 30. When Jesus had tasted, he said, it is finished. Now, it is finished was in the original Greek is tetelestai. Um, and he, he bowed his head and he released his spirit. Can you turn this down just a little bit, please? So tetelestai is really interesting. In fact, it's my favorite, this is my favorite scripture right here. Those three words, it is finished, condensed down to tetelestai is my favorite phrase in the Bible because it means it's an accounting term that the authors or the, the scribes used when it was translated into Greek. And it means the debt is paid in full. Okay? So on the table of truth, we have that God is love, right? And we also have that it is finished. So the accounting term, telestai, in other words, if you had a, a, a debt that was owed and you went into the bank or whatever, or someone went into the bank on your behalf and paid that debt in full, right? They would stamp it, paid in full. So if that debt's paid in full, when you go in there, what can you bring to pay the debt? It's paid. You can't do anything else about it. It was paid. In our case, to tell us that it was paid on our behalf. And what was it? What is it that was finished? Was it just him dying on the cross? Yes, and that's, that, that's different layers of depth there. But the bottom line is that our sin, we owed a debt for our sin, right? What was our debt? Death, but not just physical death. Let's understand that. We're all going to die, believer and non-believer. That's right. It's the second death. We are meant to die and stay dead and never exist anymore. Okay, so it is finished. The debt has been paid in full. What can we do to earn that? Nothing. We can't earn it. We can't pay into it. We can't add to it. We can't do anything to attain it except accept it. All right, that's cool. Would you bring up um, uh, Romans 3, 21? All right, so if, if you've all read the book of Romans. I'm sure at some time I had something to do with it. And the whole first couple of chapters was like, oh my, it's condemnation, right? Even the Jews weren't even, even though they were the chosen people, even they weren't good enough. Because we learn earlier on that what? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? So, 
But now, so what happens when you have those two words? It's a transitional phrase, but now. What does that mean? What does that imply to you? That what came before, that's right. But now, and he said, he wants to come, but now, uh, God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writing of Moses and the prophets long ago. So now our salvation is not based upon anything that we did or do or could bring. It's based upon God's love and his grace that he saw from the beginning of time that because he gave us this really dangerous thing, when he created us, he gave us a really, really dangerous thing. Do you know what that is? Well, mind is tough, but who said free will? Free will. We're free. We have free will. We can do whatever we want to do. Okay, it doesn't mean we should, but we're free to do that. Um, turn to Ephesians, or go to Ephesians uh, 2, please. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. It's a gift. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, because what are our good works like? They're worth what? Filthy rags, right? That's our good works, a filthy rag. So imagine what our bad works are. Um, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things planned for us long ago. I, want, I don't want to miss this. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Why? For good work, so that we can do the work that God would have us do. God has a will for us, right? He has a will for everybody. That doesn't mean we stay in that will. We waver. His will is still going straight. We kind of zig and we zag and we get back on it. We fall off it and we get on. So, so it's, but that's not really what it's all about. It's, the fact of the matter is that he has his will for us, and his will is, is all good things. But because we have our, our, our pride and because we have the sin nature, which is still stuck to us, unfortunately, we, we have that. So, in fact, before we were saved, we were by nature what, objects of wrath. Right? We were by nature objects of wrath. And he loved us even though we were in that state. So now what? What's our marching orders? Let's turn to Matthew 5, verse 48. Let's read that aloud. You are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Most other verses use another word there. You must be, begins with H. Holy. How holy? As ho holier than Junior? Holier than Mike? Holier than Margaret? No, be holy as God is holy. How are we going to do that? <laughs> I mean, come on, man. Seriously, that's the first, on marching orders, we need to be holy as God is holy? <clears throat> How can we do it? Can we do it? Is it possible? Is, is it possible in our flesh of our own? Like, do I have the ability? No. Through the Spirit. When we receive the Spirit, we're what? We're made into a what? A new creature. New creature new creation, a new creature. And it says that we're to renew our minds daily. So it's about our minds. We need to renew our minds. We need to get our, the, the seed of our self, our mind, straightened out. Um, in Matthew, Matthew 22, through 30, uh, on verse 34 through 40. Is this it? Yeah. Therefore I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers of the religious law, but you will kill some by crucifixion, and you will flog others with whips in your synagogues, chasing them from city to city. As a result, you will be held responsible for the murder of, of all godly people of all time. Is this what I want? Are we, am I in the right place? 
Ephesians, uh, where am I? I'm in um, Matthew 22, 34. This is my technology. It's my iPad, my iPhone, my laptop. Are we there yet? That's 23, I'll say. 22, 34 through 40. Uh, but when the Pharisees heard that his, he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? They weren't interested in learning, folks. They didn't want to know anything. They wanted to do what? They wanted to trick him. They wanted to trap him, make him stumble. Didn't work. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So there we go. We're to love God. We know that, right? We understand that. What's the second one? It's equally, equally as important as loving God. This is, loving my fellow man is equally as important as, as loving God? Really? Failure. <laughs> Failure. It's so hard to love other people. Why? Because you don't like a lot of different people sometimes. You just don't like something about people. You know, we're judgmental. And, you know, we see a person come us, we get them judged by their clothes, by the car they're driving, by the hair they're wearing, or no hair, whatever. We have these, all these thoughts that come at us. It's like our sin nature is like right there, ready to jump in front of the spirit, you know? And we've got to beat that down. We've got to renew our minds. So he left us with two commands. He didn't leave, leave us with a bunch of onerous commands. Go to church every Sunday, give so much, do this, go Mondays, do, whatever. He didn't leave us all those rules. He said, love God and love your fellow man. Um, remember Ed last week? If you could put the Ten Commandments up, please, Clark. Uh, Ed Sermons, Pastor Ed Sermons last week, remember he talked about if you have something against your brother, uh, leave your gift at the altar and go back and make an Well, you know, that's not New Testament Christianity because there's no altar. We don't do all this. So what's he talking about there? It's an Old Testament thing. When, but what was his point? To me, his point was, listen, you've prioritized me as God. Well, I'm telling you that I prioritize you. Before you leave your gift of worship at the altar for me, all holy God, go and be reconciled with your brother or sister. It was more important for us to be reconciled with our brother or sister than for us to bring our gifts. Think about the priorities there that God, we think it's all about God, it's all about God. It is all about God, but what has he done? He's made it all about us. Think about it, this whole thing, this whole passion play was put on for our benefits, to save us. You must not have any other God but me, number one, right? You must make, not make for yourself an idol, you must not misuse the name of the Lord in God. Okay, the name of the Lord, your God. So that's the first three commands. Who do they deal with, man or God? Look again. Look again. What are we talking about? You must not have any other God but me. You must not make yourself any idol. You must not misuse the name of the Lord, your God. What happens to the next seven? Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Who do we, who, who is the Sabbath made for? <coughs> right? Sabbath is made for man. So now we get the fourth commandment is Sabbath, man. Remember, uh, honor your um, father and mother. Next. Must not murder. 
must not commit adultery, must not steal, must not bear false testimony against your neighbor, and you must not covet. <coughs> Who are these toward, these last seven? How we deal with other people. So even in God's Ten Commandments, which are the most you know, important things, that's in stone on the Mount Sinai and all this stuff, he still prioritized our relationship with other people. And the reason I say that, um, in fact, let's go to Romans 6.19. 6. Yeah. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I am using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. Now you must give yourself to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. At one point in time, especially before we became Christians, we didn't have the power to, to, to say no to sin. When, you're, when your master says jump, you jump, right? When your boss says go, you say go. Sin was our master. Well, guess what? It's not our masters anymore. We have no excuse anymore for not being able to curb ourselves from sinning. Okay, that's great. But in the real world, we react how? Most of the time, the sins that we do are what? Yeah, they're quick. It's like it's a reaction. Man, you know, if I was judged based upon my driving and how I reacted to bad drivers, there's no, there's no deep enough hell for me, right? Because I really am. I'm an angry, I'm an angry person, especially on the road. Um, so we're no longer slaves to sin. We no longer have to. We don't have to do what sin... You know, remember the... the um, uh, who was that guy? Berkowitz, son of Sam? Son of Sam? Was it? You, you know how, what, anything about him? He killed people, right? Why did he kill people? A dog told him to do it. First of all, if a dog talks to you, you don't need to listen. Okay? Let me just make that clear. And if he tells you to kill someone, it's probably not a very nice dog. <clears throat> so it's like that. Our sin nature is like that. You know, back in the day, um, from what I understand, that um, when you committed murder in some places, they would actually take the person that you killed and they would bind you to them with a rope. And you were going to spend the rest of your days with that corpse tied to you. And as it decays in front of your face, next to your body, and it starts to rot, now you are obviously going to die too, going to get sick because of what's... So, so here we have this sin nature. Why are we clinging to it? Why, are we so, like, why do we love it so much? You know, it seems like we do because we do it so often, right? You know? I'm not talking about you know, murder and stuff like that. I'm talking about sins of relationships mostly, which is, uh, which is what I want to get into the main uh, part of what I want to say. Is I spent a lot of time uh, with atheists trying to discuss things with them try not to argue with them, but a lot of times it does. It comes down a lot of times to a personal ad hominem attack. As soon as you get to a point where you can't really, they can't get over something you say, then they start attacking you for being stupid or whatever. But there's three things that I found that, especially atheists that I've dealt with, what repels them, what repels them from God and from specifically Christianity. Number one is suffering. Why, if God is so good and so holy and so loving, would he allow suffering? Little babies to die and all this other kind of stuff. That's number one. I can argue that away because most of the stuff, the suffering that happens is, happens at our own hands. It's not God doing it. We do it. We make stupid decisions. We make bad decisions. We make selfish decisions. We end up doing things that hurt other people. The second one is eternal damnation. The idea that if God is so loving that he's going to keep people just for not believing in them 
He's going to put them in hell and torture them and keep them alive forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and for them never to have a chance to get out of that situation. That turns me off. So I can imagine it turned other people. But I can argue that away because I, I know what Scripture says. I've done quite a bit of research into that. The hardest thing for me to argue, though, is Christian conduct. They've come at me with ideas. Well, what about this guy who did this? And what about this? The church did this? And you had the Inquisitions. And you had all of these things. And our church throughout history has been ugly. Now, mostly they're railing against the Roman Catholic Church of the 15th, 14th, 15th, 16th century. But that's still stuck in their craw. So we have this thing now with the church. Well, why? Because when they come into contact with Christians, what are Christians? A lot of them. A lot of us. Judgmental. First thing is we're judgmental. You know, self-righteous. And all of these things. Um, you know, they find Christians to be unloving, to be unforgiving, to be judgmental, to be hypocritical a lot of times. And i got to agree with them a lot, because I can look in the mirror and see that, and I understand that. Like, lately, it's, I don't know what it is. I'm getting, maybe it's I'm older, I don't want to use an excuse, but <clears throat> I'm getting less and less tolerant with people. I'm getting less and less tolerant with ignorance. I mean, I can't even get a coffee made right at Dunkin' Donuts, right? So, you know, and here I am now telling the person off in Dunkin' Donuts because really they're not paying any attention. They don't really want to be there. And I'm like, what do you, you know, what do you, why are you working if you don't want to work? There's other people who come in here and do the job and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll do it at least with some, to be polite. I think it was Gandhi who said, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. And it's sad, right? I mean, you know, there's a, was it Westboro Baptist Church down there that uh, attends funerals and, and, and kind of carries a bunch of signs, fag, go to hell, and, and all this other kind of stuff, right? You know, and they're holding up the name of Christ on one hand, and they're terrible with the, other, with the other hand. You know, it's just hypocritical. So people see that. So what, my question is to me, like, <coughs> I mean, I'm preaching to myself, really. I've been struggling with this for a while, and I figured I, you know, the best way to work it out is to talk it out. And I don't like what I've become. I don't like the way that I've become. You know, I've, I'm getting harder. You know, I don't want to become harder. I want to become softer. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be more gentle. It's not, my, it's not really my nature. Matt, my brother Matt is, sits right there. He's, he's known me for 54 years. And he can tell you, going back years and years, how I am. Not that I was a bad person necessarily, but I'm a stubborn, rebellious person. That's part of I'm wired. I'm a bull in a china shop. I always wanted to be that gentle, oh, how are you today? So good to see you. Kind of loving person, but that I see, and I'm like attracted to that, but that's not who I am, you know? So we need to be, we need to be gentle, but um, let's go to uh, Matthew 4.19, please. Jesus called out to them, come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. So the cure to this, right, and this is what I want to really get to, is what does that mean? Follow me. Yeah, right? Follow me. It means follow me. It doesn't mean like walk behind me. It means follow me. In fact, um, I want to give you two examples of different things, but... Uh, I was visiting with a pastor one time. I was sitting in his office, and he walked in the office and sat down, and as he did, um, someone else walked in right after him and gave him a, a note, and something had happened in the church building that morning. Something was taken. So I'm sitting there. He goes, Mike, I just need to make a phone call. I said, all right. So I sat there, and he gets on the phone, and he calls this company. 
and he gets the answering machine. And I'm expecting him to say, hey, you know, this is so-and-so at such-and-such, can you give me a call? He's like, listen, somebody, this is so-and-so from such-and-such, one of your guys came in my building, they did this, they did that, they didn't take it away, I'm going to tell everybody I know, I'm a pastor on the island, I know where, I'm going to, and he started like railing on this guy in the answering machine. I'm like, what? What? What kind of a witness is that? You know, and this is coming from a pastor. Well, instead of just saying, give me a call, I'd like to talk to you about, about something. Yeah. So um, let's go to uh, John 14. 23. Very good. Wow, you clocked it quick. Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make a home with each of them. If you love me, you'll do what, I'm, do what I say. And I always thought about, uh, I don't know, I'd, I'd like to be a hero. I, I'll admit it. I'd like to like die doing something good for somebody, you know, saving someone's life or something. You know, what a way to go, you know, doing something good for other people. And I was thinking, what if I was walking across the street, right, and I didn't notice the tr- bus coming, and some complete stranger ran across the street and pushed me out of the way of the bus, but he got hit, or she got hit, crushed destroyed, dead. Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate that. <laughs> going on with my life. No, right? Aren't you going to want to know who that was that killed you, that, that took your place? Aren't you going to want to find out what kind of person that person was and what made them tick and all of these kind of, like I would devote a lot of my time like trying to find out more about who is this person that kicked me out of the way and took my place. Well, that's what Jesus did for us. Do we read scripture? Do we read spiritual books? Do we listen to Christian music? What do we fill our days with and our time with? Are we, are we refueling ourselves with the goodness? Because we're stuck. I, I'm stuck in hell, you know, eight, ten hours a day, whether it's in tr- sitting in traffic or in my office dealing with the things I have to deal with. We have to be recharged, you know, and people say, well, you should go to church. Yeah, you should go to church, but not because there's a rule saying you should go to church. <laughs> That's where the brethren are. You want to go and be with the brethren. We're supposed to recharge each other. So we're supposed to be encouraging one another. You know, that's what we really need to do. And, I, and I, I'm guilty of not doing that. I'm guilty of snapping and, and, and being snippy sometimes. You know, but the whole point of the matter is that we have to understand that we have that sin nature. It's still there. It's not done away with. But we've got to understand that we no longer have to obey it and we're no longer slaves to it. And when we fall, we can take confidence in what? And to tell us die. It's finished. It's all been done. So it's not a question of us doing works to gain anything. But if, we're, but if you say that you're an orange tree, you better grow oranges. If we say we're an apple tree, we better grow apples. If you're not growing apples and you're an apple tree, you need to look at yourself and say, why aren't I growing apples? And I do that. Why aren't I growing apples? I know why. Because of me. Um, Galatians 5, 22 through 26. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Now let's, again, I'm talking to myself. I might say you, but I'm talking to myself too. Let's examine ourselves. It produces the, the Holy Spirit, which we're given when we believe, right? <clears throat> it's given as a guarantee of our inheritance, as the scriptures tell us, right? It's a guarantee of our inheritance. It's a guarantee from God's guarantee. I trust God's guarantee. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love. Joy. Are we joyful? Ah, praise the Lord. No, seriously. Are we joyful? 
Some, what do you mean sometimes? What's this sometimes stuff? And I'm saying that jokingly, but we may not be happy all the time, but we should be joyful. Even in, especially in tough times. Joy is a different thing than happiness. Happiness is fleeting. Happiness is situational. Joy is foundational. We should always have a foundation of joy. And consider it all joy, my brothers, when you're persecuted, when you're beat. What? That's the joy part? That's the joy part, right? So we're supposed to be joyful people. I think we're a bunch of morose people for the most part. Not us here, but necessarily. But it's very dour, very... <laughs> uh, peace. I love peace, man. When you have peace, you can do whatever you want to do because you don't have to worry about being beaten up or, or shot or killed or anything like that. We have peace. We're confident. And why would we have peace? I'm not confident in have peace because of my life is peaceful. I have peace because God is love and it is finished. Patience. <laughs> nah, come on. <laughs> Patience. Really? Patience? I love, uh, I was watching Curb Your Enthusiasm and in the, you know, Larry David was in a line and you know, you get one line, another line seems to be moving faster, and you move a lot, and I surge of that line starts moving faster. You know, and you kind of get this, you know, I'm so impatient. I will switch lines. I wish I could have, you know, like a hologram of me sitting in one line. Kindness. I, this is one, my favorite one. Why can't we just be kind? Why can't we? Why can't we let the person go without flipping them off or getting mad? Why can't we just deal with the nonsense of this world and just let it go? Be kind. You know, there's a scripture that says what? Treat others as you're treated? Treat them the way you are treated, they treat you? No. Treat them the way that you want to be treated. Let's remember that. It's not treat them the way that they treat you, but the way that we want to be treated. You take, take that verse that way, it changes everything. Right? So we need to be gentle, kind, goodness. I mean, live your life like, God, like Jesus is watching, right? He's, he is. He's in you. He's, he's, he's in our spirit. So we should be spurred on to do good things and reject bad things. Again, this is you know, pie-in-the-sky stuff, but this is the, what we need to fill our minds with. We need to fill our thinking, change our thinking this with. Faithfulness. I mean, come on. Keep your word. If you say you're going to do something, say, do it. Do, you know, these are the kind of things that we need to be. Why? Because we are... Sorry, clock, I didn't give you this verse, but I need to dig into my technology. We are a chosen generation. This is Peter, 1 Peter 2.9. We're a chosen generation. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. We're priests. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Peculiar. Isn't that a weird word? It's peculiar, right? When you think of peculiar, what do you think of the guy who has pink hair and, you know, just people that, things that set you apart from, from the normal? But, you know, we kind of take a negative. We're peculiar. Why are we peculiar? Because we're not supposed to look like the world. How do people see us and, and, and what do they see? Do they see Jesus? Or do they see just another person who, like, lives in the reality shows and, and, and you know, and, and has a their focus on basically things that are pretty much useless a lot of times. You know, we, I do it. I to fill my mind with stuff that's not very uh, useful. Um, so I guess I'll end it just, just by saying that no matter what happens, no matter where we're at, we have to look at ourselves as God looks at us. Right? And you know what he's not doing? 
You know what God's not doing? He's not judging us. He's not judging us. Who did he judge? To tell us by. He's not judging us. He's not mad at us. He's not disappointed with us. He doesn't roll his eyes at us. You're his favorite, Manny. You're his favorite, Brian. You're his favorite, Linda. You are. You're his favorite. So we have a God who loves us so much that he was willing to, to die, to become man, to die on the cross. And all he really wants, and the key word to all of this, is thankfulness. He wants us to be thankful and grateful for what he's done for us. And he wants us to spread that. You know what? When you give money to the church, that money isn't going to God. When you give a sandwich to a hungry person, that sandwich isn't going to God. You can't give anything to God. Really, he's not here in physical form. So what does he do? He makes us responsible for taking care of each other. And that's the family. If you read Acts chapter 2, they sold everything they had. They lived in the same houses. They shared everything. The meals together, they had this communal living that was beautiful. And I wish we could get there today, but it's not, I don't think it's really possible. But so be encouraged that you know, we have our marching orders, and that is to be peculiar. We're supposed to be different people. We're supposed to treat people than normally people we used to get treated. So they question, oh, oh gentleness and self-control. Um, isn't it one of the verses say, and the like? Yeah, anyway. Gentleness and, and self-control. Um, yeah. That's Jesus. So we look at Jesus for our, um, our guidance on how we're to live, right? Paul says what? Imitate me as I imitate Christ, which is great because, you know, you're looking at Paul, who's not divinity. He wasn't divine. And Jesus, you know, he's the divine. So we could look at Jesus and go, well, he's divine. Paul wasn't, but yet still he was following in Jesus' footsteps. So we should use Paul as an example. And he wasn't perfect either. So, in, in the way that we're going to be successful at this, the way that we will uh, grow and become a congregation, because I know when Ed uh, comes that we're going to start looking at things for outreach, because that's one of the things I think we don't really do well here, if at all, is outreach, getting out there in the neighborhood and doing things and being involved in events and community and stuff like that and sharing the love of Christ. And I think we do that by, by encouraging one another while it's still today. And that's all i got to say about that. Thank you for your for your time.